It's Wednesday, January 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Brian White, and from Fool.com, the co-host of the increasingly popular Where the Money Is show, David Hansen. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. You have dozens of listeners, dozens of viewers? Uh, let's call it half dozens. Half it feels do- good to be caught up to the dozens. big leagues. It feels <laughs> real good to be here. Uh, before we get into our topics today, we're going to talk about Twitter. We're going to talk earnings season. We will continue our smart home discussion. I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who came out on Monday night to our Women in Investing event that we had. We had a great crowd. We had about 200 people, which that's a great crowd anytime, but particularly Monday when the weather was starting to turn. It was really wonderful. So thank you to everyone who came out. We had a great event with David and Tom Gardner, Luann Lofton, Alice Lomax, and others. So it was great. So thank you for that. Let's start with Twitter. Shares down about 10% just in the last day and a half. And Brian, no secret as to why the stock is down this morning. For the third time in two weeks, Twitter shares have been downgraded. Morgan Stanley downgraded the stock on Monday. Today it was Cantor. This isn't a surprise, is it? I mean, when you look at the fact that they still haven't come out with their first earnings report as a public company, they'll yep. do that sometime yep. in February. And the run up on the stock has been insane. I mean, just the valuation alone, if you're Twitter, you can't get upset at this downgrade, can you? Or can you? No, I mean, it, I, me and David and I were talking before uh, we went live here. And I think <clears throat> there's a number of potential catalysts for the downside. And yeah, the stock's been on a huge run. You know, it's a $32 billion market cap with about $530 million in annual revenue. Probably won't turn a profit till 2015. Uh, and then the downside catalyst, I think what we're seeing is is some analysts get hope, you know, trying to get out in front of, of potentially another Facebook repeat. Um, you know, tough first year for Facebook as a publicly traded company. Twitter, I mean, the run has set itself up now with the potential catalysts such as, you know, earnings seasons coming up here this year. Uh, the upside relative to the downside is pretty tough. They're going to be reporting earnings earnings all throughout the year. It's going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be a potential downside catalyst. And then also you have the lockup periods ending where, where uh, you could have some heavy selling, potential heavy selling in the stock. So it's not surprising, Chris, to answer your question. David. Yelp is a company that went public in March of 2012. To Brian's point about Twitter, not expected to turn a profit until 2015. Yelp is expected to turn a profit at some point this year, but to this point hasn't, and the stock is up about 500% since the IPO. So, on the flip side, is this now a buying opportunity for Twitter? It's hard for me to say that it's a buying opportunity at these prices. I mean, the valuation, it's what, a $33 billion company now and huge run-up. But we have to remember, too, the people that are downgrading the stocks, their time frame, their time horizon is really short. It's not a foolish investor's time frame. They're looking six months out. They're looking, what does Twitter look like six months from now? If you're a long-term investor, you should be asking, what is Twitter going to look like in five years from now? And I think that's the important question, because if you want to own this business, you really like the brand, you like the experience, you think they can do some really interesting things internationally on mobile. If you want to buy today, I think this is a, a stock that you could potentially scale into. Maybe you buy it today. If there are downsides, and you still want to own it, buy some more. Um, so maybe not a glaring buying opportunity today, but I wouldn't call you crazy to start a Twitter position today. 
you just touched on something that Tom Gardner mentioned at this Women in Investing event the other night, and I'm curious if this is something either of you do. Tom talked about getting a little skin in the game and saying, if you just buy a couple of shares of a stock, any stock, whether it's Twitter or something like that, you are much more likely to pay attention to that. And he advocated that as one way to go. Is that something that you do in your own life? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great strategy because you're not going to have the same motivation to get on the conference calls, listen to the commentary if you don't have any skin in the game. So if you have a small position, you can understand the business. And with a stock in a company like Twitter, it's very important to separate what the stock is doing and what the business is doing because the stock can be down 40%. But if you're on the conference calls and they're saying, hey, our business looks great, international is looking really good, but the market doesn't like it, the quote market doesn't like the results – you could buy more. So it's really important to get comfortable with the business before kind of the stock. Also, how they're spending their money. That's I find that's – and I don't listen to a lot of conference calls, Brian, but I find that that is information that tends to come out much more so in a fuller way on the conference call than just in the release or certainly even in news reports when you hear the management talking about this is what we're investing our money in. Yeah, the conference calls are, are- – they're a huge resource for me. I mean, beyond the 10K, it, you really need to go to the conference call to see what the business is doing today, um, to see if it's delivered on its past promises, and to see what it's doing for the future. The conference call is the place to be for, for investors. And, and, and that strategy makes a lot of sense, uh, Chris, what Tom was talking about, getting a little bit of skin in the game. It makes a lot of sense. And it was interesting. It reminds me of – I did a little study on Tom Gaynor, uh, CIO of Markel. I don't know. It was like four years ago. The one thing I noticed about his uh, investing process, he does take those little small positions. And they don't always last in a portfolio. But you can kind of – you, you kind of got to assume what he's doing there. And you know, he's getting a little skin in the game following the company. I have to believe if you're a public company and you find out that Tom Gaynor and Markel have taken a little it's it's as we've talked about Markel yeah. being sort of the baby Berkshire Hathaway yeah. he strikes me as one of those guys that investor relations people would pay attention to and not that you're necessarily going to change your business or anything like that but I don't know I I just feel like I would be a bit more It's an encouraging sign, right? It's probably an yeah. encouraging sign, but that it's also right. it's also an indication that you probably want to be hyper vigilant about what <laughs> about yeah. what you're doing as yeah. a business. We've touched on earnings season. It officially kicks off tomorrow with Alcoa and God bless the people at Alcoa because that's now that it's no longer in the Dow, that's really all they got. That's the, <laughs> that's the one feather in their cap at Alcoa is we kick off earnings season. I'm curious, David, I'll just start with you. What is a company that you are particularly curious to see. And I'll I'll just say, mine is Twitter. I don't own shares of Twitter. It's on my watch list. But more so than any company I own shares of, I am dying to see what they do in their first quarter and how they handle that first call. But what about you? I'm going to be watching eBay. And the stock was flat in 2013, which is fine. But when the market's up 30%, that's a pretty big laggard. But over the last five years, it's still been a market beater. Um, so the business of eBay, they have the marketplace business, and the PayPal business. PayPal now makes up around 40% of revenue over there. But just looking at the commerce market and e-commerce in general and that trend, in 2012, eBay enabled $175 billion in, in transactions there. By 2015, they see that going to $300 billion. So almost doubling that, that size of their business, that enabling commerce, in three years. This business is growing very, very fast. And when you look at the valuation, it trades at 25 times earnings when the rest of the market trades at 19 times earnings. They're growing revenue. They're growing EPS. 
it's I'm trying to wrap my head around why the stock is lagging so much. And you can make some arguments that they're kind of second fiddle to, to Amazon. They're not the leader in the space. You could argue that PayPal's maybe not a huge opportunity, but I look at these two businesses and they're both growing at double digit growth rates and trading at a reasonable valuation. So I'm really interested to see what they say in their earnings release. How is the business uh, doing? Is it still growing? Um, I think it could be a good opportunity. Do you want shares of eBay? I don't. It's been on my radar for a while. So this will be kind of the next step in my process in terms of saying, what's really going on here? Is there anything to be concerned about? Or is this just the market overlooking stuff? Where do you come down on PayPal as a spinoff? Do you think that's something that will absolutely happen? It's just a question of when? Or do you think that it's legitimate for eBay to think about keeping that in-house forever? I think it's legitimate to keep it as long as they're growing at similar rates. You want to do a spinoff when, when one part of the business is growing at 3% and you have one part of the business growing at 20%. Right. You can kind of spin that off and unlock the value. Both businesses are growing at pretty heady rates. You look at e-commerce, that's something that's not going away anytime soon. And the same thing with mobile payments and PayPal. So for now, I think they work well together. If the commerce business starts to slow significantly, you could see a spinoff. But for now, I think it's fine. Brian, what are you watching? Well, I, I would just comment a little bit on what David said. And, and <clears throat> the funny thing is, years ago, David, I mean, most people thought eBay's auction site was left for dead. And if you go back and you actually look at that, I think it's underappreciated how well they've done there. And they've got some fixed pricing in there now. And it really, it, sales only declined, I think, maybe a quarter or two, maybe three at the most for that marketplace business throughout the downturn. They've amazing performance in the marketplace. Everyone talks about PayPal, and PayPal's wonderful, but uh, it's it's really big core marketplace business has been an impressive grower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Chris, it, I'm going to be watching, um, in particularly SodaStream, this, uh, this quarter. The stock's been beaten down. You look across the market, <clears throat> and uh, it's... It, there's been a lot of love for a lot of companies <laughs> over the past few years. And so it's hard to find a, a relative bargain out there. And I'd say SodaStream is one of the ones that's tops on my list. They reported uh, earnings last quarter, got beaten down quite a bit. Yeah, um, it, Their flavor sales. So this is home uh, carbonation uh, systems for the home. So sparkling water and soda in the home. And the flavor sales were only up 6 to 8%, something like that, uh, last quarter. Big disappointment. Um, but underneath the hood, if you look, uh, there's a research firm out there that tracks um, sales within the retail stores. Uh, SodaStream sells inventory to retailers, and that's what flows through their revenue, and that's what they report. But uh, and and. PD reports actual sales out of the retailers and flavor units were up 53% last quarter. You know, obviously, market, most investors ignore that. There's a lot of hate out there for SodaStream, which is great for a long-term investor um, if you're looking for good prices. SodaStream, um, early in February, will be reporting on the holiday quarter, mm-hmm. which is a huge quarter. And uh, if, if it's true, you know, the retailers, sales out of the retailers were up 50-some percent last quarter. And and uh, inventory replenishment should be a catalyst this quarter, since flavor units were only up six to eight percent last quarter. Uh, it could be a catalyst that the market's not paying attention to. I did notice the stock's up about six percent. Um, if I was short SodaStream, I th- I would really think about covering before the quarter and maybe putting the short back on afterwards. But if you're if you're shorting this thing on fundamentals and you followed the story, it's going to be hard to be short heading into this quarter. 
Do you short stocks? Mm, not usually. Unless there's a major catalyst and there's some kind of uh, unique insight I have. But no, I'm not a traditional shorter. Have you ever shorted a stock, David? Try to stay away from it. It's a, it's a dangerous proposition a lot of the time. I mean, I'd rather be a business owner than trying to time it that I've way. never <laughs> shorted a stock. And last year, not that I seriously entertained it, entertained it, but about this time last year, I looked at some of the bricks-and-mortar retailers and thought, boy, if ever there was a time to short a stock for me personally. Yeah. This is the time and these are the stocks. And I'm so glad I didn't because I would have gotten crushed. Yeah. I would have absolutely gotten crushed because when you look at the performance, certainly of Best Buy and GameStop, just to name two, in 2013. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, and it's, I'm, I'm just going to stick to owning. <laughs> it's hard, too, because you can you can have the, the what right, but it's hard to get the when right. I mean, yes, yes. shorts can take five years to play out. Um, we talk about Ackman's Herbalife short. That hasn't played out for him. Uh, way back, he shorted um, MBIA, and that took six years to play out. He eventually was very successful on it, but his initial thesis was right. But these things can take a very long time. Yeah, you can be right, but you can also be very, very wrong in the same in the same situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be early. If you're early, you can get hurt. Mm-hmm. That was Whitney Tilson, right? When Whitney Tilson came out a couple of years ago with his short on Netflix, the flip flop, and he, and then he <laughs> closed it in. Close it at the worst in, in just a few time. months. Yeah, and then close it at the worst time, and then bought, and then that's later that year. That's when the stock tanked. Yeah, yes, that was a tough, tough run <laughs> there for Whitney. You can always email us radio at fool dot com is our email address. The comments are starting to come in on our discussion earlier in the week about which celebrity voice you would like in your smart home. An email from Ben J. Morgan Freeman, all the way. Just a one-sentence email. And I read that. I thought, ah, that's genius. I'm kicking myself. I didn't think of that. And Ben is not alone. Uh, Comments on Twitter from Tobin Anthony, who writes, is there a better voice than Morgan Freeman? And Aisha Taylor, who writes, the voice for my smart home would be Morgan Freeman (laughs) or Benedict Cumberbatch. Also good. Also, which reminds me, Sherlock. I think starts later this month. The new season of Sherlock on BBC. If you haven't seen that, what a, what a great show that is! What do you got, Brian? White? I have nothing really unique. I mean, my favorite two actors growing up were Sean Connery and Morgan Freeman. So I'd there say a go. mix of those two, maybe a mix. Interesting. I, li- I like as as we talked about before we started taping. I like the idea of having two voices because as Matt Copenheffer pointed out yesterday. Tim Hansen's choice of Mr. T, that's a good voice in the morning. That'll get you going in the morning. But I don't know at the end of a long day if you want Mr. T as your uh, smart home voice. You? Going with Michael Caine. For two reasons. Okay. I can feel like Batman because he's Alfred. <laughs> Every day I can be like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And also he can tell me like what the temperature is, but also give me very sage advice. I'd be like, all right, if, you're, if Michael Caine's talking to you, you're going to listen. There are those people who have voices where – Either they they come off as wiser than mm-hmm. maybe they actually are, or more reassuring than they actually are. Where it's they can just share really bad news, and you think, well, it was shared in such a nice, exactly. reassuring way. It's all right. What yep. if you what if you're like angry at your kids, and you could you could just hit the button and it'd be like Al Pacino, epic rant, <laughs> or Robert De Niro, epic rant. <laughs> Obviously, PG version. Those but. scars would be deep. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you want to scar the kids like that. All right, David Hanson, Brian White. Guys, thanks for being here. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.